pray for me. I'm not feeling the best tonight, but the Lord will help us. <clears throat> it's always good to come into church, especially here during the midweek. Have to work all week and face all the problems of the world and all that. It's good to come and get a, a refresher. Yeah. But uh, we are in a study in the book of Acts, and this will be the third uh, study out of this uh, sermon series, if you will. It's uh, the Acts of Jesus Christ through his apostles. I've been placing special emphasis on the church uh, because the book of Acts really is how the church begins, and we find a lot of the, the foundational truths that, uh, that we still carry on today. It's not just tradition, but it's what God has handed down for us to do as a New Testament church. And we find these things throughout the book of Acts. But tonight we're going to be looking at something in particular, and it's uh, really the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and when all that takes place. And we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, Lord willing. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. You can just remain seated there. I'll read these verses, and then we'll get into expounding upon these tonight. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how here we ever met in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Parth Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and in Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, and Jews, and proselytes, Cretes, and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others, mocking, said, These men are full of new wine. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the reading of your word tonight. I'm praying now that you help us. As we try to expound upon this text, Lord, that you'll be glorified. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, throughout my studies in the Bible, throughout all the years that I've uh, uh, put the emphasis on the church, I've uh, concluded from reading the Bible that the church began with Jesus and his disciples, and that it was empowered at Pentecost. And we're not going to be able really to look into Pentecost that much tonight, but I do want to give a few remarks about it. But uh, just as we read there in our opening uh, text, this is where the New Testament church begins. This is where the empowerment starts happening. Mm -hmm. uh, before this transitional period, the Spirit was with those. The Bible talks about being with those of faith. But now the Spirit is going to dwell within those that believe, those of the faith. Now this didn't happen until after the crucifixion and Jesus' ascension into heaven. And we know this because the Bible tells us in John 7 and 37 through 39, in the last day, that great day of the, of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. 
For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because of Jesus was not yet glorified. And so we see the difference there. The Holy Spirit used to be with those and he, he would come and then he would go. Uh, for instance, you see some of those Old Testament uh, prophets and some, some of the, uh, the others that were in there. It talks about like Samson, for instance. The Holy Spirit was with Samson at times and then he was not with Samson. And so he would come and he would go. He was with and he was without. But once somebody is saved, after Jesus has ascended and he's been glorified, then believers, those of faith, the Holy Spirit indwells within them. And so the first uh, chapter of Acts tells us that Jesus ascended into heaven. But before he did, he informed the disciples about the Holy Ghost. Acts 1 and 8. We studied it, uh, I believe it's not last week, but the week before. It says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up in a cloud, received him out of their sight. And so that right there is when the church age began. That's when the New Testament church actually began. And by the way, the definition of the New Testament church is a local assembly of baptized believers who have voluntarily joined themselves together to carry out the Great Commission. So the church is not the building. The church is a body. This is what the church is. Uh, those that have through faith trusted Christ as their Savior, they make up the body. We make up the body. Each believer has been indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And that was immediately upon trusting Jesus as our Savior. Mm -hmm. It wasn't sometime later, and it wasn't before then. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit came and dwelt inside of you. Now, some people, they may say, well, I belong to such and such part of this body of Christ. Well, that's not really an accurate statement. The body of Christ is all one body. Uh, you can join every church in Knoxville or even every church in the world, but that, that doesn't make you part of the body of Christ. You're not part of the body of Christ until you have received Him as Savior. And the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You don't become part of His body until you've made repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. The Scripture says in Acts 20 and 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And so those that have done that, such as we sitting here tonight, I just can only assume from what I've heard from you and your testimonies and uh, everything that everybody here is saved. Uh, I know I certainly am. And uh, I know that uh, when I got saved, the Holy Spirit moved inside of me. So it's immediately upon trusting Christ as our Savior, we get what the Bible calls as baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now this is not that, that type of baptism of the Holy Spirit that some of these charismatic places just want you to think that you have to have. They think that sometime that you've got to work yourself up to this point in your, your life or in your religious walk to where you actually have this baptism that's extra, extra baptism. That's not in the Bible. That's not, uh, that's not biblical. Uh, we are all baptized with the Holy Spirit when we get saved. Acts 1, 4 through 5 says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, You have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, 
but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And so that not many days hence is referring to what we just read in Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. This is the many days hence he's, he's referring to. Uh, and so uh, that's when believers started being baptized with the Holy Ghost. With the Holy Ghost. And from that time on, that's how it's, it's happened with every believer ever since then. Everybody that's believed in Christ. And that is God's plan for the church. That's how God has is, is, uh, ordained it. To be baptized with the Holy Ghost simply means you've been immersed or placed within the body of Christ. It's not a fleshly type of show. It's not something that overcomes you. It's not something that makes you get on the ground and wiggle around and bark like a dog or any of these other things that some of these places claim happens when you get baptized with the Holy Ghost. When you got saved, you got baptized with the Holy Ghost. That means you got placed in Christ mm -hmm. in His body. It don't mean that you, you got crazy or anything like that. It roll around the ground and jibber jabber. So let's look there at verse 1 again, chapter 2 of Acts. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. That word Pentecost is a Greek word and it means the 50th part. We all know that that's when they celebrated Pentecost. It was the 50th day. The Feast of Pentecost occurred 50 days after the Passover. Now the Jews, they celebrated Passover. When the time they got to Passover, uh, the, the Red Sea, they departed Egypt and went over on the other side. And uh, we all know that the Passover, when, when the death angel, when God said he's going to send the death angel, you remember, and they, they prepared the, uh, the feast and all that. And they, they ate of that. And uh, he said, if you've got to put the blood on the doorpost and the lentils. And when the death angel comes by, if he sees that blood, he'll pass over you. That's what that word Passover is from, where he passes over you. Well, and in 50 days... After that, they celebrate Pentecost. That's the 50th day after the Passover happened, when God sent the death angel through the camp. And uh, they were freed, of course, from Egypt's bondage. So uh, after this, the Jews started celebrating Passover with a series of feasts. And over the next 49 days, and it led up to the 50th day, which they called Pentecost, meaning 50, and that is the end of the feast of seven weeks. Seven weeks equals 49 days. And the final day of that is the 50th. So that's where Pentecost comes from. Now, after Jesus died on the cross, he was buried and then resurrected, the Bible tells us he was seen of many people for how many days? 40 days. So for 40 days, he was seen by his followers. Acts 1 and 3, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So after those forty days, ten more days passed from his ascension into heaven until the day of Pentecost had fully come, which we just read there in verse 1. So from the time he ascended into heaven until the day of Pentecost, there was ten more days that made the fifty. So that's a combination of fifty days. What this signifies is that Jesus has now become the Passover lamb. The Jews were no longer, if you got saved, you no longer observed the Passover like the Jews did. They didn't celebrate that, but they would celebrate Christ. And that's what we celebrate, Christ. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're remembering it's symbolic of Jesus' blood that was shed and his, and his, uh, his uh, the torture on the cross, his flesh. And so we know it's not his literal blood or his literal, literal flesh like the, the Catholics believe in. 
but it's symbolic of it. It's a remembrance. That's why the the communion table, which is usually here, is sitting, sitting right inside of the foyer. Uh, it says, in remembrance of me. And that's what we're doing. We're remembering what Jesus did. It's a symbolic uh, time of uh, observance mm-hmm. of the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. And so there's some important comparisons I'm going to give you quickly about Old Testament Pentecost versus New Testament. So in Old Testament Pentecost, it occurred 50 days from the departure of Israel from Egypt. And the New Testament, Pentecost occurs 50 days after Christ arose from the dead. And so there's there's a, a, a comparison. The Old Testament, Pentecost celebrated the birthday of Israel, essentially. In the New Testament, the Pentecost uh, celebrates the birth of the church. In the Old Testament, Pentecost saw the slaying of 3,000 souls. You can see that Exodus 32 and 28. But in the New Testament, Pentecost sees the saving of 3,000 souls, mm-hmm. as we'll look at more probably next time. In the Old Testament, Pentecost is introduced in a very mighty way. You find that in Exodus 19 and 16. But the New Testament, Pentecost, is also introduced in a, new, in a mighty way. We just read it in Acts 2, 2 through 3. We see everything that took place. So the Bible says there in verse 1 of Acts 2, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, remember when we left off last Wednesday, we saw in the Bible it said there was, what, 120 people present in that upper room. This was essentially what you would refer to as the first New Testament church, the gathering of the church. Acts 1 and 15, it says, In those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said the number of names together were about 120. So I believe this to mean that all 120 people were involved in this event when the Holy Ghost came and, and uh, was present with them, not just the twelve. Now, take notice that the early church, what did they do? They were all with one accord in one place, so they were together. Despite all the dispersion that's been going on, despite the, uh, the, uh, all the, the Rome trying to get rid of them, despite the unbelieving Jews trying to get rid of them, they were still together. I mean, here's 120 people meeting in the upper room, all because of Jesus. And I'm assuming they're up there praying. They're together in one accord. And we know all, reading through Acts, they had all things in common. And so that's that's where we find the picture of that first church. That's that's actually the church we should be modeling ourselves after. If, if the church is, is doing what it should do, it should be a biblical church. And it should be looking at how the early church started and say, are we doing that? Are we together in one accord? Are we all in one mind and in one accord? Are we all thinking the same? Are we are we doing the same? Are we coming together as a body of Christ? Look at verse 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Now, I want you to notice that it says the sound of a mighty wind. It did not say the wind itself was blowing. It said it was a sound of a mighty rushing wind. In other words, they wasn't up there holding on to everything, you know, uh, getting blown away. Uh, I always thought when I heard that when I was a kid, I was imagining this wind coming through and Peter's hair is about flying in there, you know. Uh, but it, it says it's the, as a sound, came a sound from heaven as a, ru- a rushing mighty wind. So it fills the room with that sound, that whole house, in fact, fills up with that sound of that mighty rushing wind. And uh, it's what that is, it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. 
Wind throughout the Bible is always connected to that pneuma, that's breath, breathing, and, and it's referring to the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, uh, the power of God. And so this sound represents or is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we see that all throughout the Bible, uh, wind is associated with the Holy Spirit, and it's usually dealing with God's working power. Uh, Ezekiel 37, 9 through 10 says, Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breathe and breathe, uh, breath and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up on their feet, an exceeding great army. And so we see that power of the Holy Spirit all back in the Old Testament, where he says it's the wind, those four winds are coming. John 3 and 8 says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit, with a capital S, the person of the Holy Ghost. And by the way, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, is a person. It, it, it's not an it. It's not an it. A lot of times you hear people referring to the Holy Spirit as an it. It's not an it. It's a he. It's a he. Just like Jesus. Just like God. Just like the Spirit. So this sound, of course, is the sound of the Holy Spirit coming in great power into that room. Third verse there, Acts 2 and 3. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. All right, that word cloven right there, it means separated or divided. It don't mean forked. I've heard some people get, get kind of off of the weeds on this. They say, well, that, it was forked tongue. No, it was, it was divided or separated, not forked. It's describing the manner in which the tongues are moving is what it is. Uh, don't think of it as like some tongue with uh, you know several pieces flying around like that, you know. No, it just means in the way that it's moving. Uh, it, it's moving like a fire would move. Flames separate and divide as they burn. If you ever had a campfire, you know how those flames go. They're, they're separated and they burn. That's, that's what this appeared like. It says like as of fire. It didn't say it was literal fire. They weren't sitting there and all of a sudden wrap up their face of fire. No, it says as of fire. So it's the, the Holy Ghost in this... Uh, uh, however, it, it's symbolic of it, but just like the wind is mentioned in verse 2, this fire in verse 3 is also symbolic of a spiritual representation of the power of God. And uh, we find all throughout the Bible uh, that same thing, but fire is usually associated with purification. Purification, well, fire is usually uh, a representation of it. God first appeared to Moses there in Exodus 3 and 2. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. God also used fire to demonstrate his presence in the life of the Israelites. Exodus 13, 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead, lead them by the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. But God also demonstrates his power through them. Leviticus 9.24 And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat which when all the people saw they shouted and fell on their faces. In 1 Kings 18.38 Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. 
Y'all remember that great time for Elijah on that mountain <clears throat> But, like I said, fire demonstrates God's purification. It's purifying. Listen to this in Isaiah 6, verses 6 and 7. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Remember that great uh, section of the Bible there in Isaiah. And he was like, woe is me, I'm undone. And he saw God's presence, uh, his, uh, his train in the temple, and uh, the seraphim and everything. But this seraphim coming, is like he put a, a, a live coal in his mouth. That was for purification. He says, thy sin purged. 1 Corinthians 3 and 13, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. We all know we stand before the Lord, and uh, our, our works are judged. Those things we did for ourselves and to get men's applause, burned up. Yep. Going to see what's real. Those things we did for real, yep. they'll get tried by fire, and they'll come through like gold. Purif purified. We'll see what sort it is. Fire also represents God's judgment. Hebrews 12 and 29 says, For our God is a consuming fire. Genesis 19, 24, Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And in Revelation 20, 14 and 15, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake the fire. So we find all throughout there God's power in fire, His purifying, and His judgment all in fire. And so naturally there, when the church is being empowered, we see this power, this presence, this purification that appears as of fires, as tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Uh, that statement showing that the Holy Ghost affected every person in that room. It sat upon each one of them. The Holy Ghost sat upon you when you got saved. You may not have seen a fire like a like a, a tongue or anything, but uh, he sat upon you. And so uh, the Holy Ghost fire here, Jesus refers to it in Acts 1 and 5, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. So this is the baptism of the Holy Ghost that we're seeing here. It's, sim it's a semblance of fire representing the Holy Spirit, His presence, His purification, and His power. All right, look at verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right, now, when the Charismatics hear this, they're jumping up and down saying, See, see, we're right, we're right, we told you so. The Church of God folks are running around rejoicing. Boy, they're running all over the building right now. The Pentecostals are up and dancing at this right here. They're dancing away. But let's don't get ahead of ourselves. What does the Bible actually say about these tongues? I'll pay very close attention to how it's worded there. It says, and began to speak with what? Other tongues. Other tongues. That word other means different or alternative. Something not normal to their usual tongue. What they're used to speaking. 
So these tongues represent the Holy Spirit's power of enabling men and women to deliver the gospel in a language which they were not able to speak otherwise. It was a different uh, other tongue. So instead of uh, Aramaic or Hebrew or uh, Greek or in whatever language they would speak, they were speaking a different language. They were speaking Arabian or Chinese or or something else, but it wasn't their own native language. And the Holy Spirit is the one that allowed them to be able to do that. Look at verse 5. The Bible even backs it up. There were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And so these were known languages. These were not, these were not some jibber-jabber, off-the-wall, far-out, something crazy that uh, nobody knew what they were saying and they needed an interpreter to interpret it. No, these were actual languages. And the people that knew that language heard it that way. And there's the key. Every man heard them speak in his own language. So now the charismatics are looking away. The Church of God folks back off. Pentecostals quit dancing. They're sitting down now. Uh, because these were known languages. Languages known to the people that were... That, uh, they were unknown to the people speaking them, but were known to those that were listening. So Peter, who probably spoke Aramaic and probably Hebrew, he suddenly could probably speak Egyptian or whatever language that they, they spoke, some foreign language. Uh, it was not some heavenly language or some angelic language, as some people want to say. Uh, they, uh, these were known, documented languages. It would be like me. I can speak English, and I can sing a song in Latin, and I can sing a song in German. But that's all I know is a song because I learned it when I was in school. But I speak English. It's not very good English, but I can do it. Uh, but it'd be like me all of a sudden speaking, I don't know, Chinese. I don't know how to do that. You know? But the Lord, in this case, he was enabling these people to be able to speak in a totally different language they didn't even know about. And so, uh, you know, it, it wasn't that, that stuff you see on TV of these places on the community channel where they've got those so-called women preachers up saying, they're saying, God has said he want to know them. That's what they say. God said, you know, one another. Now, they're saying all kinds of crazy things up there. All right, look at verse 7. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in their own tongue wherein we were born? <clears throat> this was so miraculous that all those people that were visiting from all these foreign countries, and there were many there during that time, during the day, uh, time of Pentecost, they were all over the place. Uh, they were amazed that suddenly they were hearing people speak in their native tongue. Uh, this is not normal. <laughs> they did, that didn't happen on every Pentecost when they come. This is the first time. These simple Galileans, and remember, these are not college-educated men. They've not been taught these languages by somebody. They didn't go underground and learn a new language. In fact, if you look forward to chapters, you read this. In Acts 4 and 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. I, I like that part right there. They, they, they perceived they were unlearned and ignorant men. But boy, look at them now. They're talking in different languages. Uh, so the Bible lists all the different languages next that these men spoke. 
this puts everybody in their place. This says this was some kind of heavenly or angelic light. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya and Cyrene and strangers of Rome and Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So there you have it. There's a whole list of the, the languages the Bible gives us. But notice the reason they were speaking in foreign languages. They were speaking the wonderful words of God. The wonderful words, works of God. These wonderful works of God is what God has done through the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the wonderful work. It's the gospel. That's what they're speaking. They're telling people about Jesus. That's the wonderful works of God. God's work was sending Jesus here to save sinners. And so these are the wonderful works of God. And the reason God allowed them to speak in these four tongues... So they can spread the gospel in every language and every nation to every people. Because remember, that's what Jesus told them they were going to do. Here in Jerusalem, and then Judea, all Judea, Samaria, and all the world. Everywhere. And so they needed to be able to speak this way. They didn't have a copy of the Word of God like we have. Now, we're not going to cover it in this study, but I personally believe the gift of tongues, as they had right here, that was given to these men to the early New Testament church is no longer a valid gift for the modern New, Day Testament, uh, New Testament church. I believe that uh, where the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 and 8, where it says charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. I believe these uh, tongues were given as a, a sign. The Bible said that the Jews required a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. And I believe it was needed in that day because they did not have the Bible like we have. They had no way of sharing the gospel other than being able to speak in somebody else's language. Um, now, there's, there's really three different mindsets when it comes to tongues and whether or not you believe in uh, the, the gift of tongues present day. So you have continuationism. Now, these are people, continuationists. They believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still Include speaking in tongues. They're still valid and, and active in the church today. Uh, they claim the Bible does not give any uh, clear evidence that these gifts were meant to cease after uh, the church period and that, uh, or when the church period started. And they, they use them for a source of edification and prayer and communication with God in contemporary times. And that's fine. I'm not one to say that God can't allow somebody to speak in tongues. I certainly believe if a person, if God wants a person to speak in tongues, yes, sir. They can speak in tongues if God allows them to do it. I believe that all my heart. He can do anything. I'd never put God in a box to say this can't happen because God can do anything. Mm -hmm. But as for the church and the the uh, the things required of the church, I don't believe these are still valid gifts that the church would use. That men today, uh, that God has them speaking in a different language that they don't know to be able to share the gospel. Uh, perhaps that could happen. Maybe there's a missionary that God has sent to a foreign mission field. He doesn't know the language and God would enable him to speak that language. That, that may be possible. God can do that thing. But as for us as a church, why would we need to do that? Why would I need to come into this church and speak to you in Chinese or Japanese? There's no Chinese or Japanese here. And so that is not, uh, I, don't, I don't see that how that's valid. And so I'm what you would call a cessationist. 
In other, in other words, I believe that these miraculous gifts, including speaking in tongues and the prophecy, I don't believe there's new prophecy given today. I think all the prophecy we need is in the Bible already. And that men today, there's no longer prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Prophets today say this is what God's word says. I don't believe God's raising up new prophets, giving new revelation. Where they come up and say, well, you're not going to find this in the Bible, but God told me. I don't believe that's happening. I believe God put his whole plan in the, the word of God for us to be used. And so I don't, I don't believe in new prophets. I don't believe that, that people today can be a, uh, uh, an apostle. I, don't, I know a guy that claims he's an apostle. Well, how did that happen? It, was he walking with Jesus? Did he witness Jesus' resurrection? His dead, brown resurrection? Did Jesus appoint him as an apostle? Now, in the truest sense of the word, a sent one as an apostle, sure. You can be sent. And, but are you going to call yourself an apostle like, like Peter and Paul and James and John? I think that's stretching. So uh, I believe these gifts uh, cease after uh, a certain time and that uh, they were used as the purpose for the early New Testament church. To, uh, first of all, to authenticate the message of the apostles, the disciples. Uh, but this this is no longer necessary for today because we do have the word of God. We have it. And then there's some that you call them the middle ground. Uh, they take this position that they acknowledge that uh, while the spiritual gifts describe the Bible, including tongues, are valid, that they should be exercised with order, decency, in accordance with principles and love and edification. And, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with that if, if that's the way that God wants to work. However, the tongues that I'm seeing displayed today that people are claiming are from God is a lot of crazy... Uh, unintelligible nonsense and they do not have an interpreter and if they do have an interpreter they've got somebody with an earpiece implanted and somebody's telling them what to say from the back and this has been documented you can find this if you go out and do a search on it people do this they fool people they implant an earphone an earpiece in their ear you've got a guy out there standing and says oh god's telling me about a woman who's got and somebody's whispering in his ear on pew number three, the woman in the blue dress. I believe there's a woman in here right there. Because this guy back here telling me everything. That's not of God, friends. That's not of God. And so, there, there you have it. Uh, that's my belief in, in what the Bible talks about tongues. Uh, they were given as a sign gift to the Jews. They required a sign. It was given to those that needed to hear the gospel in their own language because it didn't exist in written form. And so, uh, move on to verse 12, and we'll look at 12 and 13 together, and we'll be finished. Verse 12 says, And they were all amazed, and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. Well, so you have a mix of people there. They're, first of all, the Bible says, They were all amazed. This has never happened before. This is the first time in history. This has happened. God made this happen. These people witnessed it. So they're all amazed. It says, and we're in doubt. So they're questioning whether what they're seeing is real <coughs> or if it's true or, or whatever. And they're asking, what, what does this mean? Why is this happening? I mean, wouldn't you do that? If you suddenly went somewhere where nobody spoke a foreign language and all of a sudden everybody in that room was speaking some other language, 
Wouldn't you say, what in the world does this mean? <laughs> what does this mean? And so uh, this is a clear example of how the world views really the gospel. Uh, someone not saved, maybe had never been in church before, they could come and sit in here and hear preaching like this, and they may be thinking something like, you know, they may be amazed, first of all, what in the world is he talking about? Uh, he could, they could be saying, what does this mean? I've never heard this before. And then they could be like verse 13, others mocking, saying these men are full of new wine. And so you have mockers out there. And the Bible tells us in the last days there will be mockers. And they are right now. There's mockers right now mocking this church. These people parking on the road there, that you know, going up here to get drunk. Whatever they're doing, I guess I pass judgment on them. Maybe they're not going to get drunk. I don't know. I do know it's called a brawl, brawl house, a brew house. Uh, this German uh, drinking establishment. So what they're doing there, I don't know. But if one of those was to stumble in off the street and come in here and hear the gospel preached, they may be one to mock. They may park their car there and look at us and say, look at those crazy people going in that building to talk about this guy, Jesus. And so they may mock, and they will. The world will mock Christians forever. They hated him. They're going to hate us. And so they would rather make light of it or mark it up to them being drunk as opposed to this great miracle that they just witnessed. Mm -hmm. And see, that's the, that's the difference right there. Some people's going to say, what a miracle I saw today. And some people's going to say, you don't believe all the drunks I saw down there talking in some weird languages. <laughs> and so that's where we're going to have to stop off tonight. And Lord, we will pick up next time, verse 14. And uh, go on from there. All right. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, God, we come to you tonight. Thank you for the, the Bible study, the message. Lord, I pray that you help us as we continue to uh, understand your word, God, that you just open our hearts and minds to be able to understand the best we can. Lord, illuminate the scripture through the Holy Spirit. God, do a mighty work within us. God, don't let us ever put you in a box and say that you can't or, or cannot do something. God, we know you do all things. And God, we're just uh, thankful, Lord, that we have this opportunity to come into this building tonight as a church body and worship you, God, and learn about your word and and grow in your grace. And God, we're thankful for that. Thank you for these that are here tonight, so faithful, God, attending your house. And, and Lord, to come and learn and also to edify each other and to sing praises. God, thank you for those that sing special tonight for the songs that lifted up your name. And God, we just pray that we'll go the rest of this week being a light in this world of darkness. Lord, we'll lift you up in every chance we get. For these things we ask in Jesus' name. And amen. Amen.